Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Time now for the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Yes, yes. Welcome into Balloon Party, 101 ESPN. My name is Timothy Michael McKernan. I'm standing, even though for an average-sized human being, it would look like I'm sitting, across from Action Jackson Burkett, who is six foot one, And I'm looking at, with a periscope, <laughs> it's very interesting. That yeah, the studio, do you see, do you see that I'm holding a periscope? You can barely see it above the computer monitor. It's a whole thing. What a mess. Uh, Jackson, tell me, tell me about yourself. Tell me about the good word. Tell me, tell me this. I want to know what this is. If you were, and I guess you are, not to not to show behind the scenes here on this uh, show. Right. If you were producing this like I'm anchoring the news back in the day on KMOV, a sportscast, what is the lead at 10.01 in St. Louis, Missouri on Monday, January 17th, 2022? I would have to think it's the NFL wildcard weekend. Oh, okay. That's just, but that's me. I understand the Blues is certainly uh, 1A for me, but... Uh, it's kind of a cop-out to go 1A. Right. Well, that's what I do. I cop you out cop often. out, you compromise? Yeah. Uh, I'll tell you this. You know what has me most engaged? And I was just talking with uh, Randy Carricker about it. I, I get more sports information in the three minutes I talk with Randy as I come in from our little septic tank down the hallway that is TMA <laughs> and uh, and talk it over with Randy. Um, is uh, the interview that uh, Bob Blitz uh, and Jim Bennett did with the St. Louis Post-Dispatch on the lawsuit and the settlement mm. and i was texting with jackson yesterday to give the audience some backstory on the thought process and i said i think with pronger's jersey getting retired tonight and the blues taking on the predators we'll have and do we have chris kerber on tomorrow uh working on that okay chris kerber hopefully will be joining us tomorrow i was listening to him during a commercial break for tma on with uh randy and michelle this morning and uh, I want to talk about Pronger with him, then, of course, what, ta- what takes place tonight uh, with him. But I'm like, let's, let's kind of see if we can get somebody on who has a strong opinion on the settlement. And both Randy Carricker and I were on with Daniel Wallach and his uh, partner on his podcast, Dan Lust. Uh, Conduct Detrimental is the name of the podcast. They did a town hall. And so I, I am of the opinion that Daniel Wallach is not on board with Bob Blitz said in the St. Louis Post-Dispatch this weekend regarding St. Louis slewing the dragon. (laughs) And I'm having a really tough time with the past, uh, the present, past, and future tenses of slay, slew, and slayed, or will slay. I don't know how to say it. Either way, he's saying St. Louis slayed the dragon. 
that was the NFL. And uh, and I'm going to get into that coming up. And then Daniel Wallach is going to join us on the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Uh, so he'll be with us at 1030. I am looking forward to his perspective on that. So that's a great uh, guest booking because he's in Siberia. Yeah. yeah he's, he, the man is in Siberia. Yep. Yeah. But it's it, shout out to Daniel Wallach for being able to join us. I was th- texting with him yesterday. It was like 430 a.m in Russia and he was texting with me. My so, goodness. Thank you to him. He's great. We've had him on before on TMA. He's outstanding. And uh, my understanding is is he is he hasn't released it yet. But I believe he is releasing a video on going point by point why he disagrees with Bob, what Bob Blitz had to say and what the St. Louis tactic was with regards to the settlement. And here's the thing. I think a lot of people in the audience will share his opinion. So if you don't like what transpired between the St. Louis side and the NFL, you'll want to hear this. And that's coming up at 1030. But per Jackson's instructions, I will lead with the NFL wild card weekend. Jackson, what was the best game? Go Niners and Cowboys. Yeah. And it really wasn't up until the ending. Right, right. But it was a, a hell of an ending. Um, I want you to pull up. The, I know Jerry Jones talked about it afterwards. So I'm going to give you a little heads up to pull this. The Cowboys were a team that offensively had a little uh, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde thing going on throughout the course of the year. You'd have games where Dak Prescott was absolutely going off, and you'd have games where it looked like he was lost out there. Well, for the first three-plus quarters, he was the latter. And the 49ers, kind of countering the the zone defense, the Dallas Cowboys, were moving the football so effectively, both with Elijah Mitchell, but then also Debo Samuel, on the ground. And that's what makes them so dangerous, is they can do that. You line up Sam in the backfield, but then you also have Mitchell, and uh, he is outstanding. And they take a 23-7 to lead. Well, here come the Cowboys. They kick the field goal after the fake punt. They cut it to 23-10. to Here they come. 14 seconds left. It's a one-score game. And then Mike McCarthy elects to run with Dak Prescott, and they're not able to get another playoff. As you are watching this, what is going through your mind? I saw him take off, and I just in my mind, I said... No timeouts. No timeouts, and he wasn't running. He was running right up the gut, so it's not like he could get out of bounds. I said, what in God's name is this man doing? And I'm a Dak Prescott. I ride for Dak Prescott. Hold on a second. I'm not sure I heard you correctly. You say you ride for Dak Prescott. Yeah, I think he's outstanding. Uh I think he's been through a lot in these past two years, and I really like to see him succeed, but that was... I couldn't, it's almost just like throw it away and take your shot, one shot at the end zone. Because with 14 seconds, it takes at least 20 seconds to get back up to the line. If you're going to start, do that run, you need 20 seconds on the clock, not 14. One of the issues with the, now the play call itself is so high risk because of what we just discussed. Right. The other element of the play is the umpire was too far back. Hmm. Now, it, you have to really kind of go into the weeds on watching this play and then watching how other plays like this have played out over the course of the year. But I was watching SportsCenter with uh, Scott Van Pelt this morning before mm-hmm. coming in to, to do TMA and, and now Balloon Party here on 101 ESPN. And Matt Hasselbeck was going through uh, the the play and showing how a play was run similarly in the uh, 49ers Packers game earlier this year and how the umpire is sprinting down the field to make sure knowing that the clock is running to make sure that he is right there and that he can get the ball and spot the ball and then move out of the way so they can run the play and in this case pulling up the video the umpire was back too far now with that all said 
14 penalties, only seven points going into the fourth quarter for that offense. And it's not like the 49ers defense is the 2000 Ravens. And then calling that play invites yourself to all kinds of risk. And it's not like it's a play that's going to score a touchdown. So your best case scenario result is you have a 25 to 30 yard pass play into the end zone. Whereas you could have had at least two shots into the end zone if you're throwing it down the field. So from that standpoint, I really don't understand it, but it's an example of what the Cowboys did yesterday. They shot themselves in the foot. The thing about the Cowboys is, and Tony Romo was saying this over the course of the broadcast, this is or was, depending on your perspective, their time. They have veterans who are playing great football. They have guys in the middle of their careers at their peak, and they have young guys who, as draft picks, are are firing on all cylinders earlier in their careers, and yet they still couldn't get it done. And that's what Jerry Jones is speaking to as he talks about how this one hurts perhaps more than any. Well, I think this is a time that uh, when you get this combination of players together, you need to uh, have success because we all know how it goes in the NFL. The whole thing is set up to take away from the best and add to the ones that need improvement. And personnel-wise, I think we have one of the best. Jerry Jones uh, saying also that this one hurts more than any other. How about that? Mm. And he's had a lot to choose from. Right, right. Uh, So the Cowboys are done, which means that Tampa will play the winner of tonight's Rams and Cardinals game. That number is Rams minus three and a half. The total has moved from 50 down to 49 and a half. Jackson, you got to put money down. What are you doing? Cardinals, and I'm not even messing with the spread. Cardinals money line. Wow. Can this go into our predictionary? I'd love to. I would love to. You're going to ship. You're going. You're going money line. You don't right. even need to do it. Why not take your three and a half? Well, I think the thought process when you're taking an underdog is only take them if you think they can win. And I think that the Cardinals can win. And if it's uh, usually if it's like in three or four or less range, I think might as well take the money line instead of taking. I wish I took the Niners money line. I took Niners. I plus really three. liked the Niners yesterday. Yeah, I took Niners plus three, but I wish I took the money line. I was on uh, the Niners and the under yesterday. Loved the Bengals on Saturday. Barely mm. covered. Yeah, no, that was scary at the end. That also had some officiating uh, controversy. I clearly heard the whistle. Right. I don't think that's really up for debate. What is up for debate is the way that the officiating crew handled it. And the proper way to handle it in a situation like that is to replay the down. Have to. So the thing about it is, I've been saying it here on the show. I don't know what kind of odds you can get on it. I'm sure we could look it up and find it somewhere. The odds of a Bengals 49er Super Bowl. Oh, wow. Yeah. Which you would get on that for that specific matchup. I would think it's got to be more than 20 to 1. Yeah, I mean, if you just combine Bengals to win the AFC and Niners to win the NFC, you're going to get really good odds. Uh, The Bengals are in Nashville on Saturday at 3.30. They are getting three points after they beat the Raiders. Tennessee sitting it out. We'll see how things for their bye weekend play out with what Derrick Henry is going Mm -hmm. to look like when he makes his return. But Cincinnati, I didn't think necessarily played that well. But they still were able to get past the Raiders, both the Raiders and the Eagles, an example of the expanded playoff field and not necessarily looking like they belong out there as a playoff team. But the Raiders, to their credit, hung around and they were in a position down the stretch Uh, and the Bengals were able to escape Saturday night. This one stunned me. 
it stunned me not from the standpoint that the Bills won, but it stunned me from the, the standpoint that they scored as many points as they did. I didn't see that coming. I thought with that uh, that temperature, you would see a six to three, ten to seven, right. thirteen to seven kind of game. Yep. But uh, they were just able to go. And now this number surprises me. It's moved up a little bit since the start of TMA. Kansas City was favored by two. It's up to two and a half now. Mm-hmm. But that just shows the prisoner of the moment thought process after a team has a game like the Bills did on Saturday night, where a lot of people put a lot of value on the Bills. I think before Saturday night, if you would have said the Chiefs and Bills are playing, which was the likely outcome, both favorites, certainly the Chiefs a big favorite against the Steelers. You saw how that played out. That I would think that the Chiefs would have been favored by about six and I think that that win by the Bills stands out to people so much that that moved the line that much. Therefore, I would tell you there's value on the Chiefs. It doesn't mean that they, of course, will win. But from a value standpoint, I think the spread only being two and a half is uh, is super low relative to the, the Chiefs talent level uh, but the bills did look like something else yeah. on uh, on Saturday night at home against Buffalo uh, Buccaneers and Eagles and Chiefs and Steelers not a whole lot to break down not a lot of thrilling competition in that one anything at all stand out to you from those two contests sir uh, the Eagles seemed like they didn't belong and the Steelers kind of laid the groundwork for that they didn't belong before the game started so uh, what I did see, though, was cool was Donna Kelsey, mother of Travis Kelsey, made it to both games, both her son's game, Jason's and Travis's game. She was in Tampa for the noon kickoff, and for the seven fifteen kickoff, she was in Kansas City. That was awesome. Uh, yeah, both teams from uh, Pennsylvania getting absolutely worked over. Four of the five favorites cover, the one that did not, the Cowboys, the 49ers, a small underdog, three-point underdog, uh, plus 140 on the money line, and as we were talking, we liked that. I think I submitted in the predictionary Webb Simpson. Yep. So we finally have lost one. We lost one. We lost so one. So we're four and one? Uh, three and one. If the spring training starts late, then we're four and one. Ah, okay. I'm feeling very confident on that. We the, have uh, Arizona Moneyline now in the uh, in the prediction book. So I am. I, mean, I got to ride with you because yeah, I want our predictionary to do well. Well, you're undefeated in predictionary. I know I'm two and one. Yeah. All right. So there it all is uh, on the NFL playoffs. As I mentioned, Bob Blitz had some comments in the post dispatch, both with Joel Courier and Ben Fredrickson, and we're going to talk that over with Daniel Wallach coming up at ten thirty. Uh, Daniel Wallach from the Conduct Detrimental podcast. Both Randy Carrick and I were on uh, their town hall meeting. I think that was back in October. Um, with regards to the St. Louis litigation. Bob Blitz saying, we slayed the dragon. We will see what Daniel Wallach has to say about it. I also want to give my thoughts on it. On the other side of the commercial break, the Blues are honoring Chris Pronger tonight. The thing will get underway at 6 p.m. The puck drops at 7 against the Predators, but the ceremony will get underway at 6. So if you want to see 44 go up into the rafters, make sure you're there by 6 p.m. Uh, we'll talk about what Craig Berube had to say regarding Jordan Bennington's um, status, for lack of a better term, and also his performance. And then at 1030, Daniel Wallach will join us coming up on Balloon Party. You are listening to 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. 
Welcome back to Balloon Party, 101 ESPN. Tim McKernan, Action Jackson with you. Feel free to text in to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Coming up in less than 12 minutes, Daniel Wallach of Conduct Detrimental talking about Bob Blitz's comments in the St. Louis Post-Dispatch this weekend regarding the dragon being slain. Sloon. Slain. Either way. Right. They got the dragon. The dragon was the NFL. We'll see what Daniel Wallach has to say about it coming up at 1030. With regards to the Blues and the fun and games tonight at the Enterprise Center, uh, some really good news in that Tarasenko, in that Shen, and that Pareko all should be back for the Blues and the Predators this evening. The Blues losing on Saturday night. Uh, once again, they came back, except no. this time they couldn't close out the comeback. And then to lose in the manner in which they lost, unfortunately, was a microcosm of, I think, what would be some of the, if you were ranking the top questions Blues fans have at this particular moment, I think the defense situation is one, and Jordan Bennington is starting to make a move up the charts as well. Uh, The gentleman who was the hero in 2019, starting to, or already getting criticism from a good portion of fans and with the game-winning goal all of that increased uh, to give up that many goals in a game the Blues score five and they lose and don't even pick up a point that stood out the fashion which with the goal was scored stood out because uh, Marco Scandella gives that away uh, and the Blues then give up the game-winning goal and the comeback is all for naught and they lose six to five to the Leafs on Saturday night, Craig Berube addressed Jordan Bennington's play at yesterday's skate. Here is what he had to say with what he is seeing with Bennington. And also in Bennington, yeah, and our, our team. So again, it's a team. Uh, Benner, he's played some good hockey for us. You know, you go Dallas game, he played well. We won 2-1. Uh, the Edmonton game uh, made some big saves in the third period. Uh, we won that game. You know, you look back at the Pittsburgh game, we didn't play very well in front of him. Uh, he, he hung us in there. Um, you know, it was kind of a weird ending to that game. But, um, you know, we have all the faith in the world in Binner. Um, you know, again, yeah, he has bad games like everybody has bad games. So he certainly is not sounding like a guy who is going to be making a substantial changed, but uh, Jim Thomas yesterday, following the skate, asked if he might get Villahuso into the rotation a bit more, and here is what uh, the Blues head coach had to say. And in your, your goaltending situation, which is, you, you, you might understand a lot of fans are talking about it, with, with Bennington kind of struggling a little lately, uh, do, you, do you at least think about maybe using Huso more in the rotation? Well, he's been in the rotation, hasn't he? I think that we've uh, rotated yeah, more, more. we've rotated the goalies. Well, he, yeah, well, I get it, but you know, he he ended up uh, getting hurt, so he was out for a while. And uh, since he's been back, he's been in the rotation. And before that, he got hurt. Lindgren was in the rotation, so he played. So, hey, Bruby, a little defensive on on that one, um, but you know, I I, I I do have to say this. And I know this might not necessarily meet with a lot of approval with the opinion, but I do I do agree with where he's coming from in the first soundbite and that that was a depleted roster going up against the Leafs on Saturday night. And so, you know, we have to come from my standpoint, I'm going I'm not going to tell anybody else what they need to do. But for me observing it, I think you have to compartmentalize 
what the situation is and what the situation was. Uh, at the same time, his goals against is is definitely uh, a cause for concern. But as Berube made mention, they're not even in the game against the Penguins a couple weeks ago if it weren't for Jordan Bennington's pro- uh, performance. Sidney Crosby following the game went out of his way to uh, to talk about how you know their goaltender, uh, as he was talking about the Blues, really made some stops early on to keep him in the game and unfortunately wasn't able to make enough at the end as the Penguins were able to come back and win. So once the Blues have more of their guys returning and three will be back tonight, uh, I think that'll be a better judge and jury of the situation. Tonight, in advance, once again, 6 p.m. for Chris Pronger's ceremony beginning and then the Blues and Predators at 7 p.m. here on 101 ESPN. Uh, Chris Pronger is somebody who uh, I grew up watching. Anybody who is, oh, at the very least, oh, 20 years old uh, can recall playing and playing a lot for the St. Louis Blues. You will most likely never see anything like that again with regards to what he did. Uh, my memory on Chris Pronger, however, is not on the ice. Uh, Jackson, this is uh, this takes place. You were two years old. Is that 2000? 2000, that's correct. The Blues won the President's Trophy. And they had come back from a 3-1 deficit to the San Jose Sharks. And they force a Game 7. And it's at what at the time was called the Scott Trade Center. And the building is rocking. I think there is an expectation that after being down three to one, that they are going to win game seven. Unfortunately, uh, Roman Turek was uh, distracted by something (laughs) because Owen Nolan fired one in from just outside the goal at the red line. And uh, and that was problematic. If you're giving up a goal from center ice. It's a problem. Not ideal. The Blues lose that game. The President's Trophy winning team goes home in the first round of the eighth-seeded Sharks. Following the game, as you might imagine, for a team that, you know, lost in the second round the year before to the team that would wind up winning the Stanley Cup, the Blues losing to the Stars in, in, in 99, and they win the President's Trophy, you feel like this might be the year they've just lost to the Sharks after forcing a Game 7, being down 3-1. to one. Chris Pronger is sitting there answering questions. And an intern, who I believe was interning for KPLR Channel 11, um felt the need to ask a question. And sometimes that's the worst thing you can do when you're just getting started in this industry. And she leaned in and asked the Blues captain, well, now that you guys lost this game, what are the chances you'll win the Stanley Cup? Oof. And I had just started at KMOV myself, and I'm 23 years old, and I'm fresh out of Little Rock. And I'm like, oh my how is this going to go? Because Pronger would sometimes come after you a little bit, but in a, in a jovial, challenging way, not like a I'm scared to death of way. Right. And he's sitting there and he looks up at her and he decides in that moment to choose mercy. Let her live. Because I was like, oh God, this is, this is going to be rough. And he goes, well, I wouldn't say they're too good now, eh? <laughs> <laughs> That's outstanding. And so, but there were a couple people like snickering or like there were gasps. (laughs) And she looked around like, is that a bad question? (laughs) 
My goodness. Yeah, that takes a... And I got to tell you, that was like in my first month of working at KMOV, and I, and I still haven't seen one, a, a moment like that since then. And there have been, and don't get me wrong, there have been plenty that I would nominate, but for that moment in those circumstances, that is a moment where I thought this player, if the player wants to you know, take out some frustrations for losing in the first round to the Sharks after winning the President's Trophy, this would be the moment. And number 44 chose mercy. So uh, Chris Pronger, that is the man I've, I've since I've seen Pronger. And I feel like anytime we see each other, that story comes up. <laughs> there was one evening. It was uh, late. We were both out having a taste and sitting uh, at the Cheshire, as a matter of fact. Oh, nice. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, all kinds of nonsense is going on around us. And I go, do you remember after you guys lost to the Sharks? He goes, oh, you bet I do. <laughs> <laughs> I go, I thought you were going to take Take her out. He goes, yeah, I felt bad for her because clearly she didn't know what she was talking about right. and just was trying to get her start. I I, I, I respect that. Right. And for that alone, number 44 goes up into the rafters tonight, much less the incredible career he had with the St. Louis Blues. All right. It is 1028. This time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers. On the other side of the break, we get into the conversation with Daniel Wallach of the Conduct Detrimental Podcast. His response, his thoughts on what Bob Blitz had to say in the St. Louis Post-Dispatch this weekend regarding the St. Louis settlement with the NFL. That is coming up next. You're not going to want to miss it. This is Balloon Party on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Welcome back to Balloon Party 101 ESPN. My name is Tim McKernan. Looking forward to this segment from the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. Bob Blitz is still on a high. He uses words like great. Spectacular and unrivaled to describe the $790 million settlement he and a team of lawyers landed to end a four and a half year old lawsuit over the NFL's Rams exodus to Los Angeles. Beyond the money, Blitz says winning the settlement establishes St. Louis as a town that took a stand against a behemoth. The St. Louis region had basically gone into a lull of obscurity. Blitz said the settlement put us back on the map in an incredibly positive manner. We just slew the dragon. Joining us right now to get his perspective, a gentleman who uh, has joined us before on the Ryan Kelly Morning After, and uh, I've been on his podcast, which is Conduct Detrimental, along with Dan Lust. This is Daniel Wallach of Conduct Detrimental. Daniel, good morning. Good morning, Tim. How are you? I am doing wonderful. It is great to talk it over with you. And right when I read this story in the Post-Dispatch this weekend, I said to uh, Jackson, I said, let's see if Daniel's available. I'd be curious what his thoughts are. Now, I I think I differ with you as much as I wanted to see a trial and as much as I wanted to see an expansion team. I never really thought either were going to happen deep down, even though I wanted them. And so from that standpoint, I personally get the settlement and I understand it, but I can tell you this in the St. Louis metropolitan area, Daniel, it is not something that has a whole lot of approval from football fans. I don't know about people who aren't football fans, but from football fans, a lot of people wanted to see this go to trial, even if they didn't want to do business with the NFL. I think Bob Blitz's comments are comments that are not being met really well in the St. Louis area. What are your thoughts on what he had to say? Yeah, you know, I call this, you know, sort of PR campaign, the bamboozle, the media tour, because it read as 
completely one-sided, uh, you know, narrative, you know, promoting the bona fides of the settlement without pushing back on anything. For example, what about the, you know, destruction of the documents and the agreement to sanitize everything that was produced in the litigation? The city and county represent the public. And I think there should be a little bit more transparency behind what happened in this case. And now the public will never have the opportunity to know. And neither reporter for the Post-Dispatch even asked Blitz that question. And certainly it didn't end up in print. But more importantly, whether whether we agree about the bona fides of the settlement and whether the dollar amount was correct. I mean, we've got to know whether the city even wanted an expansion team, whether it asked for an expansion team. How far did those discussions go? We know from reporting by Mike Florio and um, uh, Benjamin Albright that there were discussions of that magnitude in the NFL corridors about possibly coming up with a, an expansion team as a proposal. And you never can tell where the leverage is going to go in this case. And I believe that when you're 50 days out from a trial, after only one day of mediation, you don't possess nearly the same type of leverage that you would have on the on the eve of trial, at the trial, swearing witnesses. And can you imagine the spectacle of Stan Kroenke flying into St. Louis and having to testify in open court, Commissioner Goodell doing the same thing, and holding a monetary judgment that could be in the magnitude of at least several billion dollars? Then you're having an entirely different conversation a couple of months later than you would in early November. And that's my issue with the settlement. Where was the compunction or compulsion to bring this case to a close so early when most trial lawyers try to extract the maximum leverage possible, the NFL would get more desperate to settle this case the closer it gets to trial because the last thing they want is public testimony around everything that they've successfully kept under wraps for four years. It all goes out the window when there's a trial in the case. And I believe the NFL would have been much more desperate in January to present a more compelling offer to St. Louis County and St. Louis city, whether that means more dollars or potentially the prospect of, a, of an expansion team. And we don't know from these articles whether that was even broached by the city and county and, and, and whether that was something they even wanted. I think I think everybody deserves to know the answer to that. You you uh, state that, of course, you have read the articles for the purpose of putting it on the record in our conversation. Uh, they said that there was no talk of an expansion team. Now, that doesn't mean that that could have been in play or it couldn't have been in play. Just for the record, that's what Blitz says, that it was not something that was discussed. And then also, I'm curious what your thoughts are on taking $790 million when you know you're going to get that as opposed to the appeals process, which Blitz says is something that was of concern to him. And then Jim Bennett said uh, that the whole issue with going all the way up in the appeals process to the Supreme Court was something that was of concern to him. Yeah, the Supreme Court never was going to take this case. So the U.S. Supreme Court accepts less than 2% of petitions presented for review, and it almost always involves uh, uh, conflicts of decisional law within the lower federal courts involving issues of important issues of federal law. This is a state law case involving breach of contract, unjust enrichment, damages. Uh, there are no federal issues that would have tempted the Supreme Court to review the case. In fact, the Supreme Court already denied certiorari on the only potential uh, issue for the Supreme Court to consider, which would have been the arbitrability of the dispute. And, and you know, three courts have weighed in on, on the fact that the uh, lease provisions do not govern 
the relocation controversy that as a matter of contract interpretation, the lease is a separate controversy. And this lawsuit was only about whether the relocation guidelines uh, were followed. And within that dispute, there is no agreement to arbitrate. There is simply no realistic concern or fear that the Supreme Court would all of a sudden revisit the issue of arbitration after it turned down that opportunity two years ago and allowed the parties to go through an eight-week trial and wasted everybody's time only to change its mind uh, after a lengthy trial. I don't, I don't see that as being a realistic fear. And I, I think it was, it was, I was shocked that the reporters allowed that statement to go unchecked given the history of this case. Uh, so, you know, I, I think there could have been more. That certainly, certainly I understand the appellate risk involved, but you can't tell me that that risk grows. Uh, you know, when, when you're 50 days away from the trial, where is the rush to settle the case after only one day of mediation? This this could have been taken into January. There was no the, the appellate process wouldn't have begun until after a jury verdict, after a final judgment on the merits. And they were a long way away from facing the possibility. And it's only a possibility of an appellate reversal. Use your leverage either to get more money into the into the till could could be uh, over a billion dollars or explore the prospect of a settlement uh, of an expansion team. And it really shows me uh, by the timing of the lawsuit, the time, sorry, the timing of the settlement and the amount of money involved that this was the, that, that the parties and the lawyers were only focused on a monetary recovery and, and neither the lawyers nor the city or county were interested in the expansion team. Why don't they just admit that? Yeah, that's, I think, the thing right there that you said is the thing that has a lot of St. Louisans, and not everybody, I want to make that clear. A number of people I would consider to be in the know uh, are saying, hey, this is a $30 million case, and they got $790 million for it, and it got wired, and they are happy, and they think that, that is a great win for the, Saint, the city of St. Louis, and those are people that aren't tied to the case. Yeah. But with that said... It's a false narrative. With, it's a with, false narrative. The case wasn't about simply clawing back the monies that were, were spent. It was a fraud case to deprive the wrongdoer of its ill-gotten gains. And at that point, when you consider the ill-gotten gains, which are the relocation fee, the increased value of the franchise, and we're not even talking about punitive damages, which can add a multiple of 10 times to the final you know, judgment amount, this is easily, was easily a billion dollar, $2 billion plus recovery following a jury verdict. No doubt in my mind about that. So as you were observing this play out in mid to late November of 2021, and you know, Randy Carricker and I were on uh, the town hall uh, you hosted, and, <laughs> and you'd been on the Ryan Kelly morning after with us, and talking about this whole situation. When you saw this come down, and now you read these comments what amongst the many things that clearly irritate you about it what stands out to you the most from a legal perspective and if you are a fan in st louis who is not happy with the result what stands out to you the most if you try to put yourself in a fan's perspective well the notion that st louis did better than any of the other you know cities that fought the relocations and that's simply not true i think you know mr blitz is is pointing only to the city of oakland situation which ended up in a dismissal but what about uh the city of uh, city of cleveland which sued and were able to you know get a settlement from the national football league to the promise of a new franchise within months of bringing the lawsuit st louis went considerably further 
than the city of Cleveland in the litigation context and, and secured so many victories uh, and, and you know, was in front of a favorable judge, a favorable forum. Uh, everything was set up. It was perfectly set up to, you know, lead to a multi-billion dollar judgment. The city of St. Louis was in a much better position than any of the other cities. And how do you respond when, 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 when Cleveland gets a new team, Houston gets a new team, Baltimore gets a new team? So the comparisons, I, I think, you know, reflect very poorly on the outcome uh, for St. Louis, you know, because ultimately you were deprived of a football team. A team was ripped out from the city in violation of the NFL's own relocation guidelines. And all you want in return for that is money. I, I, I think honestly, this, they, they could, they, they did not, uh, the, the, the complaint did not seek a repatriation of the team. I get that. But the leverage that could have been exploited here, uh, where this could have ended up in a best case scenario for the lawyers, too, because you could have ended up with an expansion team and the lawyers could have still gotten the same 250, 300 million dollars of legal fees. But I think there was a little bit more field left to to play here and not simply to to slam the curtain, bring the curtain down on November 10th. When you were, uh, you know, you had, you had two months until the trial and the NFL was faced with the prospect of having to reveal uh, a lot of uh, uncomfortable testimony in a public forum at a time when the league wanted its attention on the playoffs and potentially the Super Bowl. The end, you could have you could have placed your foot on the throat of the NFL the closer it gets to trial. And I, I'm not convinced that this settlement number would have gone down as you got closer to trial. It either would have remained the same or gone up significantly. And it comes down to a question of ultimately what did the city and county leaders want? And it's clear that they had an exit strategy of just getting money, which really is, it boggles the mind when you consider all the factors, all, all the, all the positive factors that played perfectly into St. Louis's hands here, you will never have a better set of facts and a better set of conditions to have extracted something much greater than what ultimately netted only a half a billion dollars to the city. And I mean only because a half a billion dollars compared to the value, the economic impact of an NFL franchise in perpetuity, it, it's like pennies on the dollar. Daniel Walla, Conduct Detrimental. And I understand, Daniel, you are going to have more on this for those who are interested in, in, in the story. You're going to have more. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, I'm debating whether to write an article or, or, or to do a, you know, a, a video just sort of uh, rebutting or addressing this point by point by point. But I was just shocked at what I consider to be uh, deferential pieces to the lawyer's unchecked statements about why the case settled. There was no pushback, for example, on the U.S. Supreme Court, you know, red herring, no lawyer, no appellate lawyer looking at this case um, objectively thinks that this has any potential appeal to the U.S. Supreme Court. And the Missouri appellate courts have already rejected the, ar- the arbitration claim. So uh, the, the, the fear of appellate reversal uh, shouldn't come into play for quite a while. I think there was significant runway left to take this case to a, to a level where the NFL would have yielded much more in way of money or the possibility of having real discussions around an expansion franchise. That is a missed opportunity, and St. Louis will not be in this position again for a, for a long time, unfortunately. This was the one shot at being able to, uh, you know, sort of to, 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 to kind of roll back and, and, and beat the NFL. And, and when you say slaying the dragon, 
A settlement is not slaying the dragon. A settlement is not an admission of liability. A slaying the dragon is beating your enemy in open court, uh, a hard-fought jury trial, and prevailing victorious. So I have a different view of what slaying the dragon means uh, than the plaintiff's lawyers in this case. Daniel Wallach, conduct detrimental with some strong words here on Balloon Party 101 ESPN. Daniel, we appreciate the time. You can follow him and conduct detrimental on Twitter for more. Uh, We always appreciate the perspective, sir. Thanks so much, Daniel. Thank you, Tim. Have a great great rest of the day. Thanks for having me on. You too. Take it easy, man. That's Daniel Wallach. I want to follow up on what he had to say. I know a lot of you are reacting right now in our text line, 65780. You can share your thoughts. Final segment of Bloom Party on 101 ESPN is next. We're right back to the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Welcome back to Balloon Party. This is 101 ESPN. My name is Tim McKernan, and uh, we're fresh off an interview with Daniel Wallach of Conduct Detrimental. As expected, that got a lot of response, and you're welcome to give your response, 65780. If you missed any of it, you can podcast this show. It's up everywhere now. Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, 101 ESPN. Uh, Take your pick, the 101 ESPN app. Where else, Jackson? Where else is this thing available? Name a place. It's on the TMASDL app. That's that's correct. Wow, that's yeah. nice. Yeah, that brand new TMASTL app. Bees Beautiful. knees. Beautiful. We uh, only have a uh, so download that the morning after STL. I, I, I could go for probably 120 minutes straight without a commercial break on this topic. So to try to do it in three minutes is uh, taking taking me back to my television days where I have to uh, to be economic with my words. Daniel Wallach is somebody I wanted to have on because I knew he felt strongly about this topic and he felt strongly uh, the opposite of what was written in the Post-Dispatch. I also know that the majority, I sense anyway, the majority of sports fans in St. Louis, I don't know if you said the majority of St. Louisans, and as sports fans, I think it's difficult sometimes to realize that we're in a bubble of sorts. And while we're passionate about the Cardinals and Blues and may have an interest in the NFL or hate the NFL one way or the other, a large portion of the St. Louis metropolitan area population is indifferent to these topics, even though that might seem phenomenal as a sports fan. So with that said, sports fans, when I'm saying sports fans, I think a lot of sports fans disagreed with what Bob Blitz had to say in the St. Louis Post-Dispatch this weekend. And so, therefore, I wanted to get somebody on who I thought would share the view of the fans. If you like the settlement and if you're excited about the settlement, then you have your mindset uh, confirmed in the Post-Dispatch. But if you disagree with it, then you have Daniel Wallach. Um, I personally got the settlement. And by got the settlement, I understood the logic behind it, even though I A, wanted to see this go to trial and B, wanted to see St. Louis get an expansion team. I think what wound up happening is in part because of Mike Florio and in part because of conduct detrimental. So compliments to them that they shifted opinions that much in the mind of St. Louisans. Things that were never really going to happen became realistic goalposts and it set the stage for disappointment. Because all of a sudden, it's like, oh, we can get an expansion team. Well, I don't know if an expansion team was ever really, really, really in play. And man, St. Louis is going to get $2 billion. So all of a sudden, $790 million seems like nothing. But ask yourself this, and this is an eternal question. Ask yourself this. If somebody would have told you in November of 2020 that St. Louis was going to get $790 million wired to the city slash county in December of 2021, would you have taken it? 
And I think the vast majority of people would have said yes. So I think what happened is people got excited about the comments of the guys on Conduct Detrimental and Mike Florio and started to think things were realistic that were, in fact, unrealistic. Now, I wanted to see it go to a trial, and I still would like a football team here, which I'm sure differs with some of you who are completely done with the NFL. The core difference where I separate from Daniel Wallach, even though I wanted to hear his opinions, even if I disagree with some of them, is that the the idea of an expansion team, I don't think, was something that was ever really in play. They're not just giving these things out, even though I do agree that St. Louis had major leverage. Something where I do agree with Daniel Wallach is the, the, to, 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 to spike the football, so to speak, on the settlement is a bit tone deaf. And, and, and in reality, Bob Blitz may be right. He might be right. I'm not saying he's wrong, but I think even somebody who is slightly paying attention to the mindset of St. Louis sports fans knows that this settlement has not necessarily been really well received. We do an annual poll and have done it on Inside STL going back to 2010, asking people their sports person of the year, their best moment of the year and their worst moment of the year. And when I asked that question at the end of 2021, I think the thing that got mentioned more than anything was the settlement as the worst moment of the year. And even if I thought, and I do think that the settlement is a positive, even if I would have wished to have seen a football team and wished to see a trial, I still consider it a positive and I get doing it. To say you slayed the dragon or slew the dragon, eh, that, uh, that one doesn't work for me. That one doesn't work for me. I disagree with that. And again, it's almost like overcompensating by going with adjectives that don't really necessarily match it. Right. To beat the NFL, to get them to write a check, I get it. But if I were handling it from the standpoint of managing the PR, I couldn't possibly begin to litigate. But from the managing the PR, it's, I understand a lot of people are disappointed because they thought that a football team might be coming or they thought we might get a couple billion dollars. I get that. But I need to tell you, neither one of those things were ever going to happen. So for St. Louis to get the NFL to wire $790 million is a huge win. And you have to understand that nobody has ever been able to do this against the NFL. And for us to do this to help the region, this is a huge win. I know we're all disappointed. We won't have the NFL, but this is a huge win. But to talk about slaying the dragon when you feel like it's a settlement, that doesn't necessarily resonate with people. And I think that hurt the equity actually in that article more so than helped. All right, we got to wrap it up. Balloon Party is in the books for January 17th, 2022. BK and Ferrario up next. You're listening to Balloon Party on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.